Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast covering all things grad life. Hosted by me, Becky Hills. And me, Sophie Scully. Hi everyone and welcome back to episode 22 of Grad Life by the Horns. It was actually Becky's 22nd birthday on Friday, so there was a nice parallel there that I thought I should mention. We can't quite believe we have been podcasting since September. We enjoy every second. We are so, so grateful to our wonderful faculty of guests, our producer Palama, and of course you wonderful listeners. Now we are in the centre of summer, we just want to send a massive congrats to every single person who finished university this year, celebrated graduation in an unorthodox way to say the least, and are finding new ways to navigate grad life in a pandemic. Hats off to you, you should be immensely proud of yourselves. This week we are joined by the absolutely brilliant Sonia Barlow. It was too hard to summarise what Sonia does in a line, so I felt was needed to pinch her LinkedIn title. An award-winning entrepreneur, TED speaker, podcast host and diversity consultant. It was an absolute pleasure having Sonia on the podcast and she is a huge inspiration to so many. As we talk in this episode about topics ranging from diversity, studying abroad, STEM jobs and public speaking, we hope you resonate with something and that it helps you find your own way to grad life by the horns. Studying in London's Cass Business School with a sandwich communications degree in Italy, Sonia knew she wanted to make a difference for women in business. Not only does her day-to-day work impact women in transformative ways, but her success and commitment to the cause led her to becoming the winner of the most influential woman in Tech UK 2020 and Women in Software Changemaker 2020. After years of working in tech consultancy, Sonia transitioned from running her own diversity and inclusion consultancy in May 2018. She has grown the like-minded females network to 17,000 plus followers internationally and has facilitated important conversations in hundreds of workshops, community projects and corporate coaching. She is the first South Asian woman to have delivered two TED Talks within one year and we cannot recommend enough that graduates watch these talks. They're titled Failure Comes Before Resilience and Please Come Online and they can be found on YouTube or on the TED site. Sonia enables and empowers women and underrepresented groups in tech, business and entrepreneurship. Her online presence offers skills and advice in LinkedIn profiling and networking, public speaking and mindsets. And just when you thought she couldn't do any more, she joined the podcasting world in June with her channel Strategically Winning It, sharing stories from founders, side hustlers and leaders. We will put all the helpful links you need for Sonia's wonderful work and resources in the show notes on our Instagram account at gradlifebythehorns. Thank you so much, Sonia, for coming on. Let us know what you think. Review, rate, subscribe. You know the drill. Take care of yourselves and others, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of Grad Life by the Horns. Today, we are joined by Sonia Barlow. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It's been months since we've been trying to do this <laughs> and it just happened to be when we're virtual and stuck in a pandemic. So it's cool. Yeah, That's it's so exciting long- to, to have you on. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it, Sonia? <laughs> so we start every podcast by asking you what's going on at the moment? What is happening in your life? Aye, that's such a deep question, isn't it? 
what's happening. So in November 2019, I decided to quit the job that actually pays a salary and go full time. In March 2020, when I thought I was getting big bucks, half my income was wiped out because of Corona. So April was a mental health and kind of focusing on mental health and practically a burnout month. May was a right, let's get back on the horse and jump over all the hurdles. And today we're sitting in June and what hasn't been happening. So I've been able to take my network 100% online. I have been able to facilitate workshops around the globe. So just two weeks ago, I did one for the University of Australia. Sorry, the University of Melbourne in Australia. I have gained new clients. I've started a podcast. Actually, I've started two podcasts. I have built a personal brand. I'm starting a course for LinkedIn on LinkedIn. I've started running, started baking. I mean, for me, what hasn't happened, if that makes sense? You know, I've completely gone on this kind of roller coaster of being, you know, what you would call quote unquote an entrepreneur or a founder, taking that leap and then just having everything that could possibly go wrong hit you in the face and then making kind of that decision do I go back to corporate world and do a nine to five five days a week terribly dislike what I'm doing but get the money or do I work stupid hours and hustle and I've, I've chosen the hustle and I'm carrying it on thank you so much for opening up about that Sonia we really appreciate it and we are definitely going to talk about your TED talk as well and about the topic of resilience which you explained so beautifully but I think what a wonderful thing to do is to go all the way back to your university life and discuss your business degree and when you did a placement abroad and just what you got involved in and what you noticed about moving abroad to do a placement what it was like for you. It was honestly the best part of my life to this day nothing can be a placement abroad but I think I'll have to give you a bit of context to understand so I've always been quite a studious person I've grown up with a kind of low socioeconomic background and the first in my family to go to university I come from a British Pakistani heritage so you know kind of the stats as they are we're we're currently talking in 2020 and only 14 percent or so of professionals are made up by black Asian minority ethnics so I'm talking kind of 10 13 years ago there was far less but I always had that drive in me I knew I had to kind of do something and, and just be good at it I didn't quite know what that was so the one thing that I realized about myself is I have never liked the change in academia when it comes to the institutes when I changed from my secondary school to my sixth form I absolutely disliked it because people just didn't get me when I moved from sixth form to university I very much disliked it because people didn't get me and I didn't get myself and I think that that jump trying to manage western society with cultural society your upbringing and what you've been taught versus what actually goes on in the real world really threw me off and I got into the class business school which is epic because obviously it's one of the best universities in the world but I didn't really know what that meant. And I remember going into university and my parents at that time were still a little bit strict. So I wasn't allowed, and I say that very openly, I wasn't allowed necessarily to live out of the house. So I travel every day to university and back and it'll take about an hour and a half one way. And in my first year, my parents were adamant that I'd get home at like 7 p.m. 
So I wouldn't have time to like socialize after university, for example. And and the third thing is I carried a lot of toxic friends with me thinking that they were my kind of best friends for life. We're going to grow old together. We're going to be each other's bridesmaids. We're going to, you know, our kids are grow up together, et cetera, et cetera. None of that turned out to be true. So my first year of university was quite a roller coaster of emotions, trying to understand who I was, fighting for my independence, uh, trying to understand why I necessarily didn't fit in in sixth form. And when I got to my second year, I realized it was because I've always had this really extensive, open-minded approach to life. I take things seriously, but I also hustle hard. I'm very action oriented as well I'm a doer and also I believe in people's equality and so we're talking a good kind of 10 years ago here right and equality wasn't kind of the buzzword it is today and then I remember being in second year and thinking right well I specifically got on this course because I want to do a placement here where am I going to do it and I applied for a bunch of places you know GE to Microsoft got to their final rounds and then someone told me that I could study abroad and that concept absolutely blew my mind because I was like, I didn't even know that was possible. So I pretty much had to build a business case and take it to my parents. And I genuinely mean a business case, like presentations and slides and budget and forecasts to be like, this is what I'm thinking of doing. And this is why, and this is how it's going to help me. And I've been working since I was 17. I haven't let you down. I've worked really hard. I'll still be able to do X, Y, Z. I'm, you know, the oldest in the family. You can trust me. I've, I've gained this trust. Please let me go. And my parents were like, yeah, okay, cool. Initially, I wanted to go to Canada. I realized that was way too far for me, considering I'd never lived out of my house before. So I went to Italy. Now, I'm talking about someone at the age of 20 who's never slept out of a house before, except like once in secondary school because she went to France with her school and she terribly hated it. So I like went, went to Italy, got housemates, and it was the most eye-opening experience because I was able to understand, learn, appreciate other cultures, communities, ways of thinking, ways of life. And I was able to judge myself less. And I think when you are a teenager going into young adulthood, you're very judgmental of yourself and your actions. You tend to put yourself down a lot to be like, I should have done something different. I shouldn't have done that. It's because of me this happened. Um, and I remember coming back from, from Italy being very independent, well-traveled, well-spoken, but most importantly, having this sense of fire in me being like, right, well, I've got one year of university left, let's try not to fail. I've got one year of university left, let's get involved as much as I can. I've got one year of university left, how am I going to make the biggest impact? And I remember my grades went to like from 40, I was just about passing university, right? Like I just couldn't handle it. I went from like 40% to like, 68 69 so just out of a first I created three societies in university because I couldn't find them myself I you know tried all these different foods I gained independence I stopped talking to a lot of the toxic friends I had and and to summarize it's because that experience taught me my self-worth and as someone who's been very sheltered coming from a Pakistani background in family around family who has had a very kind of linear upbringing because I was the first in the family to do a lot of things it really allowed me to understand myself my value and the credibility that I hold in the world which is practically your oyster so I remember coming out of university being like I can do anything and I will do anything 
And despite having kind of turmoil and a roller coaster, even in my corporate job, that experience, which living abroad and, and being by yourself or being, being not even by yourself, but being with other people has taught me is the, is the most valuable experience that I can ever come across. That's so inspiring because I think it just highlights the power of almost like immersive therapy and getting out of your comfort zone and just pushing yourself to do something that you've never done before and the value that that can have in terms of getting you like to the place where you can grow and you can be independent. Do you find that as a person you're the sort of person that will always try and get yourself out of your comfort zone? Do you think you thrive in those kind of new situations and do you try and like immerse yourself in all of those things? That's such a great question. It's such a great question. Over the years, I realized that is exactly who I am as a person. And I realized why I didn't enjoy sixth form, why I didn't enjoy the first few years of university is because I often limited myself and my own self-belief because I always thought this is how people are thinking of me and this is what people are going to think and this is how they are going to judge me or how judgments are made. And so I had my own biases and my own projections of people and their thinking, which maybe wasn't even true, that I, for some reason, placed on myself and thought, well, I can't do this because I need to conform. And it's actually the same conforming element that in my dissertation, in the final year in university, it literally was the perceptions of non-conformity and its implications and employability, which in hindsight, like, you know, I must have been thinking about the future that I was going to live because that's exactly what I'm doing now. But I remember coming out of that, exactly that time thinking, Nothing has made as much of an impact as just going for it, falling out of your comfort zone, not necessarily knowing what the next step is, but winging it along the way. Like I remember I used to go into Italian cafes and I knew no word of Italian. So my second semester, I took all my subjects in Italian and none in English. And I used to do the cafe and be like, how do you say this in Italian? How do you say this in Italian? So the amount of coffees and cake I ate is what got me to learn the language. But you have to immerse yourself and you have to give yourself a fair chance of trying and that try is what is so beautiful in everything we do and how we evolve as people I love how you pull up trying there because I think one of the issues especially with graduates is everyone is just so scared of failing and not being able to spring back and because we feel like we have to prove ourselves when you're at this age especially so what have you come across in your work as a consultant that you have noticed in the graduate landscape that graduates tend to struggle with, especially in technology and STEM? Such a solid question. Let me start by saying that everybody fails and failing is what we need to build new products, new identity, uh, new ways of thinking, new cultures. You know, if we were to flip the stigma on failing and if we were to interchange the word, changing for transforming, changing for, for revolution, changing for innovation. The way that companies innovate is through exactly that. They don't call their prior model a failure. They say there's things that can be improved. So the same way we shouldn't think of failure as something that we need to downplay or something that we need to, you know, kind of hide under a rug. We should be like, well, actually, we tried. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. This is what we need to do again and, and kind of run forward. The analogy that I always think of is when you're a child, you run and you play in the playground. You know, you're you're kind of jumping on the swings, or you're going down the slide and you and you fall down and you graze your knee or you hit your elbow. Now, I can guarantee that regardless of that situation, every child has gone back and every child has still gone to the playground. And we still go to the playgrounds even now. Like, you know, I don't really know anyone that's afraid of the park, let's say. But 
that's because that idea that actually we did something, we fell down, we just have to be more cautious that next time we don't do the same things, we don't get the same result, but we'll try something else. And if it doesn't work, then we'll try something else again. And so that idea has always been embedded in us as we're kids. And when you look into the research and psychology, so that's what I spoke about in my TED talk was failure comes before resilience. You know, the, the idea of being or failing or the idea of trying again, you're, you're pretty much not necessarily born with, but nature and nurture helps you. And that's inbreded. Mm-hmm. It's only when we get to probably the kind of teen years that we really forget what that means. And that's when your socialization comes into play. So it's really important to surround yourself with people who want the best for you, who give you the comfort and the confidence to try anything and and if you fall back down to pick you up, who actively talk about ways that they have made mistakes and what they've learned from, but also to acknowledge that in the workplace, in the world of technology, the only reason that technology is thriving so quickly is because it is continuously failing and trying again. So there's something in technology or in consultancy called innovation labs. And that basically is that rather than, uh, let's say you have an idea. So let's use this podcast as an example. You have an idea, like, right, I'm going to start a podcast. And this is the idea of the podcast, so a pilot. Instead of doing 10 episodes, we're going to try three episodes, put it out into the world, see if people like it. If they don't like it, get their feedback and then reiterate. Right. So innovation labs are Basically, rather than putting all your time, resources, tools and money into an idea or a project, you do small iterations of it, assessing it each time over a time period to see if it works or if it doesn't. And then you see if you want to take it forward. So if we use that same approach and everything we're doing day in, day out, that's only going to help us, you know, in in regards to job searching, job hunting, internships, part time experience, or even voluntary work, right? I'm going to do this for six weeks, six months. I'm going to assess it, I'm going to see if I like it. If I don't like it, based on these reasons, I'm going to move. If I do like it, I'm going to stay, right? I'm going to go and give this job or kind of real tangible placement a a, a shot. I'm going to do it for two years. For sure, I'm going to do it for two years. Of course, I'm going to note down everything I didn't like and I did like about it. But after two years, I'm going to assess and see if that's really the career I want to be in or the person I want to, or the job role that I want for the rest of my life. Right. So if we use that kind of approach and we use something a little bit more pragmatic, that that will help us. And that was that's what technology teaches. You know, graduates, of course, have every right to be afraid because that's human nature. If you're afraid, it means you're excited. It means that you're looking forward to something. But I also think it is the detriment and it's of detriment to the technology that we have. We are constantly online and everything seems very perfect online. And when I left university, I actually wasn't online for two years. So I didn't have any social media. So when I started my network, I also started social media at the same time. Because I had to jump off it. I couldn't handle it. Everybody was kind of so pretty and perfect. I was like, that's not me and that's not reality. And even now, through my social media and especially my Instagram, I'm not trying to be pretty or perfect. I'm just trying to be myself. So I'm not chasing the likes and I'm not chasing the following. I'm using it as a space to show the true reflection. So what that means is being an entrepreneur, you know, I've been awake since eight o'clock yesterday and I've had three hours of sleep because I've got grants and I've got work to do and I've got business to find. That's the reality of it. You know, being an entrepreneur just means you're all for a very long time until you make it. That's the definition of it. It does not mean that you're a multimillionaire because that's not, that's not the real thing. But you still do it because the hustle you, you love.
Yeah, and there's so much in what you just said that I want to unpack. I was just kind of listening and being like, oh my God, I wish someone had told this to me this time last year when I came out of uni and I was like, what on earth am I doing in my life? But I think it's so true. It's like that Elizabeth Day, it's not Elizabeth Day's quote. I think it's a Truman Capote quote and it says that failure is the condiment that gives like success its flavor. And I think actually it's all about that failure isn't in itself a failure it's what you learn from it that's the most important thing and I think that's what graduates don't think about you go into the workplace and you're like well I've got to succeed or I've got to get a job straight out of uni and actually in reality through not things not going in that kind of linear trajectory that we always talk about you're actually learning and growing it's when things go to shit that you then like oh okay this is actually how I learn and you think I won't make this mistake again and you can't do that unless things go wrong in the first place and kind of going on from that and touching on social media I think that's also incredibly important because we do and we talk about this a lot on this podcast and it's all about things looking glossy and things looking amazing and you've got to present this insta-worthy version of yourself and I think something that you do really well from having you on LinkedIn is that you utilize that platform which isn't necessarily so image focused and so kind of look at this perfect ideal you actually think okay there's this is the content that's going to go alongside this post and this is what I can give to people is that like an active thing you do with social media do you kind of when you're putting a post together do you think what can someone gain from this how can I build a community around it rather than being like this is just me kind of peacocking and showing that I'm great yeah that's such a beautiful question what that really stems from is I just want to I just want to kind of note one of the points you just noted I just want to say that I've worked in three and a half companies since I've left university. So that's 2015. I have disliked my experience in three and a half companies since I've left university. Okay? So I'm not sitting here being like, oh, I loved it. I didn't. There were aspects of it I really enjoyed, but each one screwed me over in their own capacity. But at the same time, in each one I grew and I learned, and I needed that for me to be like, this is enough and I'm going to go and try do my own thing and, and find where my niche is, right? So, so, so use all experiences to learn. Use all experiences to try. Use all experiences to exactly do that. Use it as an experience to learn about yourself and to experience what you like and what you don't like. And then when you go for the next opportunity, pivot that slightly and, and kind of pick and choose what you like from the last one, what you don't like, and try and use that in your next role. And that's how you can kind of bridge yourself into into finding your passion and finding the career that you really want. But to answer your question, um, so in 2018, when I was transitioning between my first and second role, I realized that I had absolutely no community. And that was also because I wasn't online. So I woke up one day and I was like, I am a terribly basic person. I am just someone's girlfriend or someone's sister, or someone's employee, or, or like, I didn't even really have friends, so I wouldn't even say I was like someone's friend, if that made sense, and I was like, crap, like, I really need to do something about it, but at the same time, I think I was quite unhappy, but I didn't know I was unhappy, I didn't realise that's the emotion I was feeling, I think I was just frustrated, so I didn't really understand the unhappy piece, and so I kind of reacted with my LinkedIn, I only had like 200 people on it, and in the beginning, I was like, right, I don't like you, I don't like you, I don't like you, I don't like you. So I, I deleted a bunch of people that I just was like, didn't like your work, didn't like your work, didn't like your work. When I started like Minor Females, it was very much that frustration overnight. And I started it with a closed LinkedIn group, called my kind of connections that I had to be like, hey, here's a great group. I'm just going to talk about career and progression and why we need to create better spaces. 
And two weeks later, created a brunch, was like, yeah, this is going to be revolutionary. We're going to change everything. Went to brunch, no one showed up, right? I just sat there crying. And my best friend, who was kind of ex-co-founder of LMS, Dewey Joshi, was like, do you know what? It's fine. She bought me a hot drink. She went and got me some ice cream. She wiped my tears and she spent a few hours with me afterwards just feeding me and making me feel better. And she's like, okay, let's try again. I didn't tell anyone no one showed up, but I tried again and I tried again. And then I got to one of my workplaces and I remember they knew that I had this community building in the pipeline and they knew it was in the background. But when I got there, they weren't as supportive as they could have been. And they did not appreciate me using my public forum to raise awareness around topics of inclusion and accessibility and equality. And it got to the point where after a final straw, I was like, do you know what? Either we're not meant for each other, which we weren't, or there must be something in my voice. There must be something in my content that's being shared that you feel can actually impact or change something that you're so worried about it, right? I flipped that narrative in my head. And then lastly, I started growing and people started realizing that I had a voice to share and I had an opinion. And most importantly, I started realizing what my own opinion was. So it wasn't until actively in January 2019 that I was like, I'm going to build my personal brand. But it wasn't until November 2019 where I was like, I'm going to use my platform to create change. I'm going to use my platform to share content, to give advice and to be accessible, to create opportunity and to enable others. And it wasn't until Corona hit in March, 2020, where I understood the power that the social platform can have in being a medium to enable the conversation, right? I am not a great writer, but what I realized I'm good at, I, like I'm not a great blogger, right? But I can make videos and I can use my voice and I can go jump online. And I can write short, snappy captions that are actionable. So here's my strengths. My weakness is I can't blog. I can't write an article. I also get bored really easily. And I talk a lot. So I lose like my way with things. And so when I started understanding my strengths, not focusing on my weaknesses, I then started using social platforms and immediately LinkedIn to talk about real social, cultural kind of conversations to do with diversity, to do with inclusion, to do with bettering the way that we are supporting young graduates bettering the ways that we are supporting university students bettering the way that we are supporting women or black people or brown people or any intersectionality basically and I realized that I could be a person of impact and change right but that was my chosen platform so I guess to summarize it I didn't have Instagram until nine months ago that is not my main platform that is a nice to have platform and I use it as like a mood board or I use it as like more my portfolio so that someone can see me visually. And the reason I use LinkedIn more is because my my target and my mainstream target are professionals, community members, or students who are going into the professional world, or professional who just need to change their stuff so they can create more inclusive environments. So I know my target and I know where they sit and that's where I can impact the most. Instagram is nice to have so that visually someone can come and be delighted by what I'm doing, where I am, and I can just showcase the, the true side of being an entrepreneur and being a founder. And so, you know, you, you have to, in that in that sense, pick your social mediums. Don't be on all of them. Pick the few, but do them well. 
understand what value you want to give to other people and what is your value add what conversations are you having understand your strengths and how can what medium can you use to really share that and and, you know and then give it a go in the beginning when you give it a go not everyone's going to like it they're not going to follow they're not going to engage but that's where consistency is so important because if someone can consistently see that you're doing something then you start creating credibility you start creating trust and then you start creating change Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely love how you unpack LinkedIn, especially because it is a credible source. And when you build up a credible platform, people will come to you. So, for example, I saw over um, lockdown and and stuff, you were offering free virtual workshops for companies that are struggling, which is absolutely wonderful. I'd like to go back a little bit on what you said about how you feel comfortable talking to camera and you don't believe you're as good of a writer so you feel much more comfortable speaking to camera and standing up in front of people and we know after speaking to quite a few graduates and I can imagine you've experienced the same that a common fear is public speaking do you have any core skills or top tips to help graduates or anyone for that matter with public speaking yeah that's Again, such a great question. I guess my my first question, anybody who wants to go into any kind of public speaking, is understand why you're doing it. Not everyone is a public speaker, but everyone can speak publicly, right? And the two things need to be different, and the two things are different. So I'm a public speaker because I am now being paid to deliver workshops to facilitate. I have a TED Talk. There are people out there who call themselves public speaker, but all they're doing is just publicly speaking, right? And also, if you want to share, you don't have to think of it as a commercial entity. It could just be you using your voice. So the first question is, why do you want to do it? Do you want to do it to motivate, to inspire? Do you want to do it to educate? Do you want to do it because you've got something cool to say and you want people to hear? Great. The second is, how do you want to do it? So my how comes from testing and trialing. I know I'm not the best writer because I've tried doing it and it's not. it doesn't come as naturally to me as it does with speaking. But even with speaking, if you were to compare me this time to to last year, I probably wasn't as condensed or concise. So my third point is understand your kind of USPs and your value. Don't speak about everything, but speak about certain topics really well or speak in different frames. So, for example, this conversation we're having is not pre-gamed. We don't have a set of questions that we're going down. It's improv. I work well with improv because I, I like to think on my feet. That's something that I do well. I know my strengths. But on the other side, if you know that your strengths are doing a little bit more preparation, get all the questions in front of you, know exactly what you're going to say. Knowing what you're saying is not the same as memorizing. Knowing what you're saying is having bullet points, two or three for each question. So when you go up there, you can formulate that conversation. The other thing to know is always have a ritual or kind of a piece of armor beforehand. So an example being really silly but before I publicly speak I kind of zone out for a couple of minutes to listen to like a Drake song right that puts me in a point of comfort it's like before we started this podcast you did a check-in right it puts someone at ease so put yourself at ease have your ritual have a piece of armor so for me I always have like a colored lip or a colored nail as simple as or silly as it is that's my go-to I need that to boost that confidence and it's something I play on now So my red, for example, is my normal go-to lipstick or nail colour. So now I've decided that 
every second block on my Instagram is going to be a red or a pink and I'm going to try and associate my brand through that but that's been years of building that isn't something that's come overnight and the last thing is is to practice practice also doesn't just mean kind of record yourself which which is an easy way of doing so record yourself and listen to yourself but it could be practicing by going out of your comfort zone and like we mentioned before immersing yourself in kind of situations I'm not saying go and sit in front of a panel of 10,000 people or even a thousand but I am saying get up and actively share what you have to say in a team meeting or with colleagues that you trust or with your mentor or with your friends or with your family when I did my first TED talk I planned and planned it planned it so much and it still isn't out yet due to like technical difficulties when I did my second one I did about two weeks worth of prep because I was super busy and I just quit my job and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And when my friends and family heard it, they were like, "That's that was so much better than your first one. And, you know, it's, it's through both practice and, and consistency. But also when I did my second one, I recorded myself and I actually put out a message on LinkedIn and Twitter being like, hey, random, but does anyone in the world have 20 minutes to listen to my talk? And can you give me feedback on it? 25 random strangers got back to me 20 23 to 25 I uploaded my talk into a google drive I sent them the link 23 to 25 random strangers from all over the world gave me an opinion on a talk without ever meeting me and that was nerve-wracking but at the same time it meant that I could practice without seeing someone I could publicly speak and use my voice and I could make sure that my talk and kind of the conversation I was having really was inclusive enough that it was able to be understood or, or grab the souls of people that I'd never met before versus just my friends and family. So, you know, there's some real tangible tips there and, and there's things to do. The last thing that I want to end on is it's okay to not be able to publicly speak. It's okay to not be an expert in that. But when you are working and when you're going to the world of work, you have to be able to hold your own, Right. So that doesn't mean public speaking as such, but that means being able to back yourself. So that is done through data or through stats or through past experience or through trends. Make sure that you have evidence of anything which you are sharing or evidence of anything that you would like to approach, i.e. a new project or a new idea, and you can hold your own. And that is so important when you go into the world of work because you are going into a situation where really you've never worked before. You are with these people now virtually or in real life about 40 hours a week. Your managers are senior to you. They may be of a different race, a different gender, a different intersectionality. And you are scared because you're like, what if I say something wrong, they fire me, right? That was my fear for the first three years of my working career. I was like, what if I say something wrong and they fire me? So I just chose not to say anything, which was wrong. But go and know that you have to back yourself. And so you have to be confident. You have to roll your shoulders back. You have to know your stuff so that they believe that you know your stuff and you can get your point across and you can hold your own. Because that is such an important life skill when you want to progress in any career and every career. That is so, so helpful because I have seen, well, we have seen a lot of work you've done on personal brand as well and how important it is to discover your own personal brand and be comfortable with that but also you know try and reach out of your comfort zone every now and again and feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable and all these are buzzwords to me I absolutely love it 
I think what would be wonderful to talk about is obviously you have values wise and work wise you have dedicated your time to inclusivity and diversity through like-minded females and everything else you do so in particular do you have any insight into the stem and technology industry and if it's what you think is missing in particular that industry when it comes to being inclusive and diverse yeah, I mean, I, that's probably a, I could go on for days, to be honest. So I'm going to try and limit my excitement. So as of kind of the most recent statistics, technology or STEM as, as a whole industry, 15% of those who work in STEM or tech at the moment identify as non-male, right? So take that as you as you wish, but they are not identifying as he or him. Less than 5% are of an ethnic background. We live in a nation of the millions. And I'm just talking about the UK. We live in the world of the billions. And that's what we are currently just, that's currently what we're delivering in the UK. That obviously isn't enough. Where does that stem from? So going back to that park analogy, when you're young and you run into the park and you fall down and you try again, you, you try again, exactly. You don't think about what people are thinking. You don't even think about what you're thinking. You just give it a go. They found through research that from the age of eight onwards is when you start actually caring what people think and the age of 13 is when you start making those decisions so if you are a young brown girl who wants to go into the world of tech but you don't see any other brown people you automatically think well i can't do that because i don't see them and therefore i can't be that right so that's the one issue first issue is is that lack of representation And you see that from a very young age. And you see that even more now because everyone is online and people have technology and the TV is on and the news is on. So if you want to be a news reporter, for example, but majority of the news reporter are are white and you are a young black girl, you're like, well, actually, I don't think I can do this. So I need to find something that I can do. And sometimes that swifts or that shifts the way that you think. The second thing is the accessibility and the opportunities. Unfortunately, in STEM, and this is something I'm trying to trying to fight and argue all the time, there is still a bias in who we are allowing into the workplace where, where they shouldn't be. So there are plentiful companies who are like, oh, we're being inclusive and we're being diverse, but we are, you know, we, we've partnered with these X universities. And when you go into the list, these universities are the top 10 in the country. Well, no, you don't get brownie points for that because the top 10 universities in the country are really privileged. I know because I went to one, right? I went to one to the extent now where I my university doesn't necessarily care about what I'm doing because they have so many other amazing people that are doing stuff. So I'm not like on their radar, let's say. Or I know because once I went to a cafe with someone and there were men in suits sitting across me and they were just like, you know, what university did you go to? And I said, my university, and they clapped. You know, I just, that, that's the kind of nonsense that I've seen. I didn't understand the power or the privilege that there was. And you come out of it. So my second point being is I don't give brownie points to companies who are attracting candidates from the top 10 universities because you're not attracting diversity. You're attracting students who are well-established in a privileged situation and fortunately will get anywhere and everywhere that they want anyway because they have that as kind of a foundation. And the third being the skills. So especially those who identify as non-male um, or kind of non-cis male, they believe that they need a lot more than they have that's not the truth 
So men, for example, will look at a job description the same way they would look at like a Tinder profile. They'd be like, swipe right, swipe right, swipe right, swipe right. Right? They don't think twice. I know I've, I've seen boys do it in front of me, but I've also seen men, and I mean men who work in corporate, when I give them training on this, they're like, what? I would just swipe for every job and see which one I get. And then in the same time, you see the woman being like, no, I'll see if I can do 80 to 90% of it and how it fits with my timing. And if it's okay with my life and my lifestyle and my future, la, 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 la. And so they, or there's automatically a barrier, right? On the flip side, there's a barrier from companies who are asking for all of these requirements. So as a graduate, you've just left university. You're already thinking, wow, it's such a big, bad world. I have no idea what to do. And then you get a job description that's asking you for 25 bullet points. After the fifth bullet point, you're like, hell no, I'm just going to go work. Like, I'm just going to stay in my part-time job because they pay me well and they and they like me and they're good. I worked at House of Fraser before I left for, for Italy. When I came back from Italy, I was, as any graduate, a little bit like, oh, I don't think I can get anywhere. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to go back to retail and I'm going to be a store manager. So I know I can do it because I've done it. And I remember my friends were like, but you've got a degree. I was like, no, 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 but... But there's so many requirements in a job, I just don't think I can do it. But I know what I can do, I can work in retail. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But my point being that because there was too much in a job description, I freaked myself out and I went and I tried to find shelter and something I could already do because I thought I wasn't good enough to try something new. And so that's a two-prong approach, right? That's one, that companies need to make their job descriptions and their, and their interview sessions more accessible you know, we don't need seven, eight rounds. It's just stupid. Like, you need three rounds. You know if you like someone or not. Give them a job offer. Let them go their way. Seven rounds is, is stupid anyway. And then as a graduate, you need to be more confident in giving things a whirl. Even if you think you can only do five of, of the seven things, five of the ten things, fine. As long as you can do 30% of it, say yes to it or try it out. Again, go back to that point that we made about innovation labs, you know, kind of, making it accessible seeing if seeing if you can do it for a time frame if you can't that's exactly why there's a probation period because then you try again you know i didn't pass my first my first probation at work and and here i am i now run a business it doesn't matter i honestly it does not matter stem is such a topical issue right now diversity in stem inclusion in stem is such a topical issue my biggest problem with this is companies not putting their money where their action points are and for anyone who's listening that's from a company you need to invest in the people of tomorrow you need to invest in the future generation these are and this is the generation that's going to revolutionize the way you work your your companies your firms your business your thinking your your growth your products your services and ultimately they're the ones with the spending power in the next 10 years if you don't listen to them now their ethics their values their ways of working you are going to lose out right and for graduates who are listening my advice would be don't worry if you think you can't do everything 100% think about what are your five core skills think about your five core transferable skills as long as you can do those five transferable skills in the job that you're applying for and it's an industry that you're interested in and you think you can actively be around these types of people for 40 you know for 40 hours of your week go for it because this is the beginning of your life, you know, you're probably going to be working for another, like, what, 50. You know, this is the start. I, I always say that in the first 15 years, no one actually knows what they want to do. It's only 15 years after that you're, like, pigeonholed to myself here. I can't move. That's where you actually become who you're meant to be. 
or who you are. In the first 15 years, it's all a, it's all a game. Play, play the game and enjoy yourself. Mm, yeah, no, and I completely agree. It's about both brands and people having that self-awareness. It's that as a person, you know where your strengths are. It links kind of to what everything that you said. It's having that self-awareness to know that, okay, I am capable of doing this part of this job description. I can learn these other skills. So why not put myself out there? The worst they can say is no. And it goes back to that failure point. If you fail because you don't get accepted onto a programme, okay, it means that you know what to build on for next time and you know where your skills lie and which bits that you have to to grow and educate yourself on to get better. And for brands, it's also having that self-awareness to realise that so many people come at jobs with different levels of privilege and it's not about equality of opportunity, it's about equity of opportunity and changing things and levelling things out so that somebody who doesn't come from as privileged background still wants to apply for that programme but because they don't necessarily have the vocabulary to understand what's in the job description you need to equalize it and make it equitable so that everybody can approach it in the same way because if you put the same language in that every single boy who's been to Eton would understand because it's written by lots of boys who have been to Eton then you're only going to attract that same audience whereas if you put put it in language you kind of test it and work out which language people are going to understand then more people are likely to apply and then that's automatically going to increase the diversity of your company and the diversity of talent and opinions that apply for it that's it listen as capable as I was as the university as I was three companies when I was a graduate declined me when I was 100% sure they were going to give me the offer because it was like just a normal casual interview after like five rounds on the basis that they thought I was going to get bored. Three companies, three managers, three hiring managers, literally declined me. And the joke is that one of the companies that declined me in January, they paid me to come and sit on their panel. So I made that joke really in front of them and the hiring managers. And they were like, who did that? You would have been an asset. I was like, well, clearly not four years ago because you declined me, right? So three massive companies declined me because they thought I was going to get bored. Um, I failed my first job probation and had it extended by three months. Turns out a lot of people do that, but no one really talks about it. I did not love the companies that I worked at, but I made really good friends. I learned a lot about myself. I found a sense of community and a sense of self-worth. And through that experience, I realized that my calling and my voice is to be used to create fundamental principles of trust and equality and fairness and inclusion and that's now what I've dedicated my life to so if I didn't go through that experience I wouldn't be here where I am today and that's kind of the mic drop moment of that's just what everyone has to realize I you know if really in in hindsight I'm a failure and that's okay and I'm completely fine with it That is such a lovely way to bring the episode to an end. But we do have one final question for you. Sonia, how are you going to continue to grad life by the horns? I'm going to continue by sharing what I know with every generation possible and helping to create inclusive environments. But most importantly, I'm going to continue by learning from the new generation of workers and graduates and students that are coming out into this landscape, their views, their their kind of, you know, digital mindset, their innovative way of thinking, their value and ethics based approach to life, which I definitely think is something we all need to get at the back of. Because fluidity in mindset, in thought, in leadership is definitely gonna help us thrive 
and inclusivity is definitely gonna create this world of equality which we're all fighting for Thank you so much for listening to that episode with the wonderful Sonia Barlow. Safe and I absolutely loved recording this episode. We found it so inspirational. We were in absolute awe of how much Sonia's achieved and how much she has to give. I would wholeheartedly recommend listening to her TED Talks, which we will link in the description of this podcast. I would recommend listening to her other podcasts, checking out what she does on LinkedIn, following her on Instagram. Her Instagram is just at Sonia Barlow UK and all the links to all everything else she does on Instagram are all in her bio she does incredible incredible things and she's gonna really make huge waves in the world so we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another wonderful episode with the brilliant kaylee golding <laughs>